0: Welcome to the Food and Faith podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts Anna Wolfenden and Sam Chamlin.
1: Welcome to the Food and Faith podcast. We are thrilled to have Tanner Cooper Rizzer with us today. Tanner is the SNAP-Ed program assistant of the OSU Extension Office in Knox County, Ohio. He's also the president of the Knox County Local Food Council, and I've been lucky enough to get to know Tanner in these last few months working here in Knox County, Ohio, and gotten to see firsthand about the um, amazing work he's doing here to bring together people around food, around nutrition, farming, gardening, um, and also from coming from a place of his own um, ministry and faith. He received his undergrad in youth ministry, and after spending a little over a year working in traditional ministry settings, decided to branch out into the SNAP-Ed program while simultaneously joining a house church, which we're really interested in hearing about that connection for you between your food and faith in that way. He also teaches classes on nutrition and cooking while finding ways to implement policy systems and environmental changes to help make healthy choices easy, an easy choice for everyone. He's a gardener, a local food advocate, a feminist, and strives to extend hospitality to all he meets. He lives in the Mount Vernon, Ohio area with his wonderful wife, Brianna, and their two rambunctious dogs and a tolerable cat. <laughs> um, so I am thrilled to welcome you to our program today and look forward to our conversation. Thanks for having
0: me. So Tanner, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for coming. And I feel like for our listeners, we should specify that OSU stands specifically for Ohio State. Um University, so yes, we, Ohio State. Oh, there it is. <laughs> uh, so I know we have. We just had someone on for Oregon, so OSU means a very different thing. Oh, up, yes. And I have a sister in law to Oklahoma State, and so uh, OSU means something very different down there. But uh, I was very pleased to make your acquaintance. You have been one of the single most biggest blessings in my life because. we were telling the story before he came on that, uh, my son and I were just hanging out at our local mall. We were just, we were at a books a million. We were just hanging out, looking for some books. And, uh, Anna texts me and says, I just met this incredible guy. And he just told us that he wants to come on the podcast that he's been listening to us. And I, I think you said it's a bucket list item, which is one of our bucket list items that being on the pod would be on somebody else's bucket (laughs) (laughs) bucket list. So, um, you know, and so from that moment, you know, just started kind of following a little bit about what you're doing um, and your emphasis on local food and SNAP-Ed um, and your work with Extension. Um, I think it's just going to be an incredible conversation. So thank you again so much for coming on. And so we're all we begin like we always do. So um, we identified you as in Ohio. Um, but tell us a little bit about your geography um, and geography can mean whatever you want it to mean. So land, food, culture, people, just um. Who are you and what has shaped you to the point where you are today?
2: Yeah, um, so that's a great question. So I actually am not originally from Ohio. I grew up in a very small town. I think it's even called a borough in uh, Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Um, and I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, so I, both my parents were pastors. Um, my father was a senior pastor. My mother was a children's pastor. And I, so I kind of grew up in the faith, grew up in the church. Um, my earliest memories are, you know, being at the church, um, you know, just learning things and then volunteering as well. So the church has always been a part of my, my walk, um, my journey, um, and so so has food as well. So I really am ca- passionate about food now, um, but when I was growing up, I didn't really think about what I ate. I just ate whatever, um, I, and, you know, there's tons of food. Uh, you know, different church events, different potlucks that I would go to. Um, But I didn't really like think about the food I was eating. Um, I also, there was um, the oldest of six kids. And so, you know, we ate whatever food we were given. We were told, um, you know, we had to eat everything on our plate, that kind of thing. And so one of my favorite memories growing up um, was a lot of Saturday mornings, I would wake up to the smell of Um, scrambled eggs and diced potatoes that my dad was making so I would get to go down and you know smell that and enjoy breakfast with him. Uh, One of the cool things about growing up as a pastor's kid was I felt that I really got to um, spend a lot more time with my parents and you know kind of go to work with them which was super cool um and so that was then i also have a lot of memories of eating a lot of macaroni and cheese because it was simple and it
0: was cheap can um, eat it
1: <laughs> another thing about eat- being a double pastor's kid <laughs> <laughs> what's that another thing about being a double pastor's kid quick simple cheap
2: simple cheap kids will make it and if there's a babysitter the babysitter can for sure know how to make it
0: as well Boom, there it is
2: yep um so that was then and then i um uh, you know Later on, I felt a call to ministry and didn't really know what that looked like. So at the time, I was like, oh, that means I need to work for a traditional church and I need to study youth ministry. So I came to Mount Vernon, Ohio um, for undergrad, Um, and there I kind of still ate whatever I wanted. And then I was noticing, you know, I wasn't always feeling the best and things weren't really great then. Um, And so but I, but I knew I wanted to do ministry and I wanted to kind of look into my food. But at the time I was an undergrad student, I was like, well, I'm on the meal plan. I just won't really think about what I'm eating. That's for later on in life. Um, and so then I graduated and decided, you know, I got married and we decided to stay in the area. And so I got a job at a traditional church. Like I thought I was supposed to do what the, you know, the thing that you would do, I have a degree in youth ministry. That's what I'm going to do. Um, So when I was, uh, when I got hired at the church, I really started thinking more about where my food was coming from. A lot of this was, I wanted to be healthier. And I also um, had a student in my youth ministry who had an extreme dairy allergy. And I'm talking, I'm not talking like a rash, but I'm talking like need an EpiPen and run to the hospital if anything has cross contaminated or touched anything. So for the first time in my life, I really started thinking about what foods were being served at events, what was in the food, how it was prepared, and really um, in the, our youth group settings when we would have a, a snack, I realized, oh, okay, I can do fruits and I can do vegetables. And when I grew up, it was like cookies, Mountain Dew, that kind of thing. And so I started thinking more about you know, just how can I make it a more hospitable, welcoming place? and um that sort of made me think more about what's actually in my food what am i eating and where does my food come from Uh, so around that same time i got involved with community gardening uh we at the time we lived in an apartment complex my wife and i so we didn't have room to garden ourselves but right across the street at a local church there was a community garden so i got involved with growing my own food and then i really just started thinking more about how can i get more local you know i'm growing some of my food but I can't do that year-round, um, so I wanted to think about that, um, and, and then eventually that um, led me to, I learned that our church offered a hot meals program, and that uh, there are several churches throughout the county that offers a different hot meals program every night of the week for anyone at all. They can come and get a nice hot meal, and I noticed at ours, the church I was at, um, that it was a great, it was a great program. They were doing a lot of great things, but there didn't seem to be a lot of connections between the staff and the volunteers at the hot meals program. So as a a staff member, I decided to start going occasionally to the hot meals program. And then when I was there, I noticed there were lots of great food, but there wasn't a lot for the kids there. So a lot of families would come and bring their kids to the hot meal program, but there wasn't much for the kids to do. And so I worked on implementing and getting a, um, a, a program, kind of organic, flowing program um, for the kids. So after the kids got their food, we would hang out, play games, and just you know, give them something to do while their parents were continuing to get food. Um, and then that, as I was working there, I realized my favorite part of the job was working. up Was helping out at the hot meals. Was getting to know the people there. Was getting to know those kids, and I was feeling more and more like the you know, being a youth pastor, being in traditional ministry, like didn't really seem like it was what I was supposed to do, um, which is what led me to find out about the SNAP-Ed program. And I decided to go for that. And so now I've been with OSU for two and a half years. And I, I've since then joined a house church. And since uh, becoming a part of the SNAP-Ed program and really, you know, teaching nutrition, thinking about what is healthy and good, I also um, have still stayed connected with those hot meals programs, uh, you know, multiple churches, not just the one I worked at, but with other the other ones in the area, both as ways to um, promote the nutrition education classes that I teach, but also just because I deeply care about uh, marginalized populations and individuals who might need that, that food access through the hot meals program. Um, and that's also uh, leading me to become more passionate about Food advocacy, and I'm also a vegetarian now. So that's a really long answer for your simple question.
0: That's no, all good. Um, and just hearing a little bit of that background is fascinating. Um, and wanted to wanted to jump in and ask you um, your participation in a house church, and and also this what you've kind of described as this. Holy discontent, we might put that, you know, as you're working in food, this desire for something else. um, And certainly Anna and I sitting on this podcast as people who have founded two churches who went down a similar road where we're like, wait a second, our involvement with food is inviting us to different places. Why do so many people involved in food and faith go to new expressions of faith? Is it because we're entrepreneurial or because we like to grow things and maybe that's more of a thing or like, like, what do you think that is?
2: yeah that's a great question I think for me specifically it was a i felt in some ways that my creativity was kind of stifled I felt that like I couldn't um i don't know i, I felt like I didn't have as much freedom or creativity to really explore like food and faith and what that looks like why not um i experienced i i in many ways, I had a really great experience, made great connections, really met good people. Um, but I also felt that there was a lot of like, well, we've always done things this way. We want things to be this never way. i have heard
0: this before.
2: <laughs> Some people were like, oh, you're like a glorified babysitter, that kind of thing.
1: Um, you're like, thanks with a really expensive degree. Yes. yes, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and a calling
2: from God to do something. Yes, Yeah. Calling from God, really expensive degree, but yeah, glorified babysitter.
0: What I'm hearing you saying is this desire to, I mean, it's not a rejection of faith, but a desire to go farther into that faith that, um, you're interacting with people, you're interacting with food, you're interacting with real needs in the community and, and wanting to go farther, rather than saying this faith isn't for me, but rather this faith may have more to say to us than what we're letting it say to us at this point. Is that what I'm? Is that what I'm hearing?
2: Yes, yes, exactly. And for me, my faith has always been about like what can I do with my hands? You know, what can I do with my feet? Where can I go and where can I be? And a lot of the people um, that I find that I was working with at the hot meals are a lot of individuals that outside of the hot meals wouldn't really want to go to a a traditional church, wouldn't feel like they felt accepted or that they belonged there. And so that bothers me. Like if, if anyone at all feels excluded from something, I don't want to be a part of it, which is hard. And I, cause someone is somehow going to be excluded from something.
1: I think that expression of hospitality is really an accessibility is part of what I'm hearing. I mean, one of the things I was really struck about and you and I met and to hear about the work you're doing with the extension office and with the um, food policy council is your attuneness to the various groups of people and the demographics in our County and being aware of that. There are some people that have easy access to, to, you know, vegetables but also that you have this bigger picture of looking at like well where are people feeling welcome in faith communities where are people feeling welcome and you know how can they access access nutrition education and um, your ability to see and to map those needs I think is an interesting part of what it takes to do ministry whether it's looks like traditional ministry or something like Working in an extension office of food. Um, I know you said to me when we met something about, um, you know, well, my, the work I do isn't really officially ministry, but I kind of I feel like I think of it as my ministry. And I wonder um, what is how is that tension showing up in your life and in your job? I mean, you're working in a secular setting, yet I hear from you that this comes out of a deep place of faith. So how are you? How are you seeing and holding that tension?
2: Yeah, um, I think that that tension is an ongoing, constant process that I'm trying to figure out. Um, I mean, personally, I think too often we focus on the you know sacred secular dichotomy that I, I don't think we need to, um, but it you know so many people in society do, regardless of whether or not it's the right thing to do. Um, but I I find that in many ways, I feel like I am doing ministry more than I was able to do before. And then, and I know that, and like my wife knows that, my, my close friends know that, but then I feel like there's some sometimes a tension with different, with different family or just different people who kind of who knew me when I was growing up and they don't understand, like, oh, you felt a call to ministry. Why aren't you in this specific? traditional church setting doing it the specific way that we've always seen kind of going back to that whole a lot of people are like well it's always been done this way so keep doing it this way and I'm like that's great that it's been done that way but what if that way is not working anymore like what can what new ideas can we grow and bring forward does
1: that answer your question yeah. That's lovely. So how would you say that um, local food and in, your involvement with local food is a practice of faith? Where are the ways that you see that showing up In if there's not really a sec, a separation between the secular and the sacred, which I I too feel that. Um, so there's the quote on my email signature, one of my favorites is a Madeline Langle quote that says, there's nothing so secular, it cannot be sacred. That's one of the deepest messages of the incarnation. That idea that these really are not separate. So I'm curious, in your work with um, food, local food, how do you see it as a practice of faith? What are the things that become infused with that that sacred in your mind and in your work? And maybe specific stories or examples of where you where you see that showing up?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think the the first thing to me is I think um, with the food council, our goal is to bring everyone to the table, and I think when it comes to faith, when it comes into the gospel, I think everyone is invited to the table, you know, regardless of anything at all. We're all invited to the table, you know, and we celebrate that when we celebrate communion, but I think we're, we're trying to reflect that in the food council that we want everyone to be involved um, with the food system, with what's going on, and so right now we're focusing a lot on, you know, providing food access, which I think is incredibly important Um, I think of in scripture, you know, in in the story of Ruth that, you know, that the foreigners could go, the the widow and the orphan and the foreigners can go and glean um, the leftover uh, from the harvest. And, you know, that was commanded in Leviticus. Like I see that all throughout scripture. And I think, you know, a lot of the things that we do in the food council, whether or not we, you know, say it's um, in the name of Jesus or whether or not we say it's um, for specific, you know, Church or anything like that. Just what we're doing is doing what Jesus would have us to do. I believe so that's with you know letting people know where the where food access is. You know all the places that they can get food. Letting you know having different planters out where people at, at any point can pick from them and grab any produce that they need. Anything that just helps provide access to all individuals, regardless of anything, is I think another great way to bring people to the table.
0: Hmm. And so I wh- want to ask you uh, and dive into your work with SNAP a little bit. Um, and I encounter this um, in my work in a variety of ways. Um, it usually comes up around farm bill time, which is of interest <laughs> in my community. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of misunderstandings about what SNAP is and what SNAP-Ed is. And so could you fill us in on just what the program is, how it works, and how you advocate for it out of a, out of a position from extension?
2: Yeah, Um, So SNAP stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It was formerly food stamps, and as you mentioned, it's part of the federal farm bill. Um, And so the SNAP-Ed is the education piece of that, um, and that is also a part of the the farm bill. And so that gets, you know, renewed every five years or or looked at every five years. And the goal of SNAP-Ed is just to, to ensure that all individuals who would qualify for SNAP Um, are having uh, physically active lifestyles and following dietary guidelines according to the dietary guidelines of Americans. Um, And so that's a, you know, very broad definition. But basically, you know, we're all about going out to the community, making sure people know, you know, what good nutrition looks like, um, how we can, you know, follow my plate to make healthy food choices and also be physically active at the same time as a way to prevent, um, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and other diet-related conditions.
0: Sometimes I think people don't always connect, and you're doing a good job of doing it. Of you know this federal program, you know that gets voted on by a legislature um, and gets endlessly debated every five years. I mean, it fills up my Twitter feed every time it comes around. Um, at the same time, it's doing deeply spiritual work. You've talked about your work with SNAP, bringing people around the table, and so um, is there. It, can you take us into an experience that you've had where this program and your advocacy for it and your work in it has brought somebody to the table or brought people to the table that otherwise might not have come to a table together?
2: I mean, well, one thing I've found is so, um, so I am all over the county with SNAP-Ed and I teach for all age groups from, you know, preschool to senior citizens. Um, and so I've really, and i since I've been doing it for a while, I've really been um, getting to know different individuals. Some of my adult classes, I see a lot of the same individuals um, every couple months. Um, and sometimes I meet new people. But one thing that I find really, really, really hopeful and exciting um, is more so when I, you know, I'll, I'll teach a nutrition series of maybe like four, one month. And I'll, um, once a week, I'll see the same people and I'll get to know them. Um, and you know, we'll, you know, when, we'll always prepare some kind of recipe together as a part of the class. And you know, while we're preparing it, they'll be sharing you know, their ideas of you know, when they've made a similar recipe, what they did, or different spices that they like to use. Um, and then um, what I found is, you know, one thing that's been sometimes hard for me is like that I do a series of classes and they come to that, but then I don't know if I'm ever gonna see them again. But it's also right. not a huge county. Um, so oftentimes I have, you know, seen different individuals at the grocery store or walking down the street and I've got to catch up with them. And then I learned that they have kids and that I've actually taught in their kids' classrooms. So I ask about their kids. So for me, kind of bringing people to the table is, you know, I'm getting to meet so many uh, incredible individuals. I get to learn a little bit of their story just because I find, you know, when I'm first, you know, talking about the nutrition behind it, they're kind of like, okay, you know, why are we here? Why does this matter? But once I bring out the food, once we start, you know, getting our hands like in the food and making different recipes together, and not just me like presenting, but we're working on it together, people open up more and share more about their life. Um, And so I kind of see like how that brings people to the table, uh, along with like, when I, as I get to know different individuals with them being on the food council, I can know, okay, this person has this, you know, need let's bring them to the table instead of trying to bring the need to them let's say hey i get the impression that you might have this need but i'm not you like come to the food council like tell us about yourself tell us how what assets you bring to the table because with with the food council we don't want to just be like well there's us as on the food council and everybody else like below us but we want to bring everyone to the table and find out what everyone's strengths are and then go
1: from there definitely i think that that there's um, such power in not just making an assumption about what each different person's need is. But I also hear, and something I've seen you do in this community is you're like a pollinator bee going from area to area and connecting people, um, and connecting needs, but also connecting assets. And, um, I've been really struck in observing you doing work in the community that you don't do that thing where you just take it all on and say, oh yes, I'll do it. Instead, you say, mm-hmm. oh, that reminds me of so-and-so, why don't you connect with them? And that you're really taking this role with the, particularly, I think with the work with the food Council, but in your other roles as well of, of connecting people with, with other people. Um, I want to pivot a little bit because one of the, you're doing so many amazing programs, which we could talk for hours about, but the, one of the ones that got me really excited is Edible Knox. Yeah. And I think it's a program that um, I think some of our listeners might be really interested in reproducing in their communities. And so I'm wondering if you could just give a brief history and ex- explanation about Edible Knox and, um, and maybe some of the, the learnings that you've gotten in that process if others wanted to to look into um, doing something similar.
2: Yeah. Um, so Edible Knox uh, is, I love talking about it. It's kind of kind of my brainchild, but I got the idea... Um, from a similar project in Maine um, called Edible Main Street. Um, But basically the idea is that different partners all throughout the county, anyone who's interested, uh, puts out container gardens and they grow, you know, fruits, vegetable, herbs, anything that's edible. And uh, once the items are ready to be harvested, anyone in the community is welcome to them. Going back to that, you know, that goal of trying to provide food access for all. Um, But then, along with that, each business and organization that's a part of this program has recipes that they give out, um, based off of whatever they're growing. So that if somebody you know sees an edible plant, they maybe not heard, they've only known one recipe for. They can take that, but then also get a recipe to to try something new with that. So kind of bringing in that um, cooking education piece, as well as you know, here's some food that you can take. Take what you want. Um, our motto is "pick a little, leave a lot." So, kind of going back to that gleaning model, take what you need, but leave the rest for others. Um, so, we, we started it last year, last summer, and we we're going to start with like maybe three different locations. But as we you know started getting each location their container plot uh, pots and you know the soil, and they were picking out what they wanted to plant. Others quickly heard about the project and they wanted to join, um, and so. We started with three, and we grew to 11 locations last summer, and we're hoping to add more on this year, and already, I think we have at least six more locations joining us.
1: It's so cool. So, I mean, I moved here for the year last summer, and one of the first things that I noticed in the downtown area was this container garden in front of, I think it was Paragraphs bookstore, Mm -hmm. and it's had this little sign that said Edible Knox. It had some, I think, tomatoes and basil. And... Um, I was fascinated and truth be told, it took me months to track down <laughs> the background of it. So, you know, that, but that was on me. Um, and so even though I didn't actually pick from that, there was a, um, an awareness piece of just like, oh, look, you can grow these things. Um, and they're all very accessible. And I think you're doing also gardening education to be like, oh, you can grow in a pot like you don't have to have a whole big garden bed um and what i've noticed in conversations more recently with the congregation where i'm on staff where you know you've come and spoken and is that um it's that piece of it's a little thing but it's part of a bigger movement and that's one of the things i really love about the model of edible knox and for our listeners that's because we're in knox county that's (laughs) k-n-o-x <laughs> I was just realizing edible knox it sounds very strange out of context
0: it'll get uh, in the show notes we'll get it, <laughs> we'll get it
2: when i explain it to people
1: i like to say edible county you
2: like insert your county there
1: right ah. insert your county there
0: yeah. yes edible. so so my understanding is like that if i come to knox county and i see the sign i'm just i could just Take and eat. I mean, yeah, it, 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 eat. It's very Eucharistic, you know. Take yeah. and eat. It's um, mm-hmm. so, which is which is and and the idea of inviting others say, hey, look, yeah, it, just start growing and mm-hmm. go from there. And any any gardener who's listening to this knows how knows how addicting gardening can yeah. be at times. That every time you think you've you've got your space, you always want a little bit more. So that's fascinating. So it's just stuff around town. I can pick mm-hmm. it up. I can eat it. Grab a recipe, and we're rock and roll with it. I got that right. Yep, that's it. That is fantastic.
1: And I think the other thing that I just would point out about it is it's not like Edible Knox is going to solve all of the food access problems in Knox County, but it's started the conversation in a different way. And it's given a rise to a conversation and to a collaboration between people. Um, Again, it's simple but profound. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I feel you being very pastoral and that like i mean no no church is saving the world no individual congregation is going to save everybody it's there but there is this there is this symbolic importance to that work it goes beyond a mere symbol that i mean there's something very incarnational about the fact that there is food that is accessible to a person even if it's not the entirety of the diet just like no church is the entirety of our spiritual diet i think in a lot of ways um so i just hear you living out of your pastoral calling in this work I don't know if it feels that way to you, but it sure sounds that way to me. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Well, I think another interesting parallel, um, which I've also really impressed with in Mount Vernon, um, and I know you've mentioned you had some involvement, is Hot Meals, that mm-hmm. there is a Hot Meal every night of the week accessible in Mount Vernon, but it rotates around to, to mostly different churches, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Edible Knox is kind of an extension to that, but getting into local businesses and and saying, you know there wasn't one agency that could do hot meals every night, but there are you know fourteen plus organizations and groups and churches that are are providing that. So those those ways of collaborating and bringing various groups together, um, I think you you couldn't really speak to to the power of that.
2: When I think one one beauty about like edible Knox is it's just another extension of, you know, bringing everybody to the table because we have, you know, for profit partners, nonprofit partners, um, community health agencies, recovery centers. So like all across the spectrum, everyone is you know interested in making sure everyone has access to food. Yes.
0: So I want to ask you, um, you've mentioned several times working on a local um, food policy council. Um, another one of those things that a lot that is growing in interest and is spreading across the country. I um, wanted to ask you, what is a local food policy council? How does it function? How does it work? What is it that you accomplish in, in your work there?
2: Yeah, so um, I've, you know, I've heard about other food policy councils, and I think kind of each one's a little different. They're kind of organic and, you know, in some ways they are similar, in some ways they are different. But for us, um, it started uh, in the early 2000s as a way to connect uh, farmers to consumers. You know, you had a lot of farmers who wanted more places to sell their produce, and you had a lot of, a lot more consumers who cared about where their food was coming from. Um, and so, they—not uh, not me, but others—started um, the food council. You know, through partnerships with Kenyon College, with the o- with the OSU Extension, um, tons of different organizations got together to bring, you know, the farmers and the consumers and everyone to the table. And so, by doing that, they implemented um, a local farmers market in our town, and um, they implemented a place called Harvest at the Woodward, which is kind of an indoor farmer's market that's open year round. Um, And they've they've also been implementing and creating different guides to local food. So we had a guide of where all the local food was. We recently created a food access map um, that we're about to launch that will show both digitally and as a hard copy any place that you can have access to foods, whether it's you're using you snap a card at it, or it's a community garden, or it's Edible Knox, or it's a food pantry, anything related to food access will be on this map. Um, And basically the council meets once a month and we talk about different projects that we're working on and just um, different projects we should be working on. And our goal um, is just to make sure that we promote the Knox County local food system um, by promoting a healthy and sustainable food system and a fair economy. Hmm.
0: Now, how do you um, interact with local government? Do you at all? And if so, how does, that, how does that work? What kind of advocacy do you do in that respect?
2: Yeah, uh, we've, we've not with local government too, too much. Um, we're, we're hoping to meet with our local mayor to, to talk more about ways we can expand Edible Knox, um, but we're sort of in a kind of revitalization process right now. I said it started in the early two thousands, but then over time, you know, people retired, got new jobs, sort of fell like stopped meeting, and then in twenty sixteen, we just revitalized. We're still kind of trying to get our name out there, trying to figure out exactly who we are as a council and what we want people to see us as.
1: So, if someone was wanting to start a council in their town, I mean, you seems like you were not involved in the starting of this one, but in the revitalization, which has similar things. What What are like the First two or three steps that you would suggest people do? Yeah.
2: I think the very first step is to figure out who are like some of the champions you need to first bring to the table. When we were looking to revitalize it, we had someone reach out to the extension office saying, you know, they, that we used to have a, a great thriving council and they wanted to bring it back up. And so they reached out to their local extension office, which I think is a good connection. Um, they bring tons of tools to the table, tons of great resources. Um, and then we just had a giant local food potluck. We went to um, a local farm, and uh, ev- everyone who we felt should be invited to the table were all invited. It was a potluck, so everyone brought their own, you know, how they would define local food, and we all ate together. And then while we were eating, you know, we talked about what the council used to be and what our hopes and goals were for it now. And then there at that event, we had people sign up and share their contact info if they were interested in being part of a council. So I guess, yeah, quick, easy first steps, contact your local extension cooperative um, office, find out if there's already an existing one, and if not, find out how you can partner with them to start
0: it's interesting in my own town, I'm just reflecting as you're talking that I mean, there's a lot of people who are kind of doing the community garden thing. And sometimes it can feel very disjointed. I mean, community gardens are a challenge anyway, just in terms of volunteer management and all of that kind of thing. And where do you go with food? Um, but what I hear food, uh, local food policy council saying is let's bring all of that together in a coordinated effort, Um, we can have our different projects in different places and going, going places. But if there's not a larger local movement that's striving at some particular goals, then ultimately, we're not going to get anywhere. So I I hear a clarion call from you um, to be working with people who might have other projects be working with, you know, local churches and other nonprofits and farmers and consumers and farmers markets, and hopefully, maybe local government as well. I mean, does that sound like a robust food policy council to you?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I think it's key to kind of identify one or two people who can champion it or head it up, um, but then also, like when you're recruiting people, make sure they realize that like this is a team effort. Um, if you're really wanting to to make collective impact, you need to make sure everyone is willing to contribute, everyone is willing to be a part of it. so kind of like you don't want to be like you have to do something to be on it because you want everyone to come to the table, yes. but also you can't, whoever your champion is, they can't do everything themselves. You need to, even if the champion's really good at delegating, that's great. Like, you need to, everyone who's involved needs to be able to contribute, or else it's just going to be one person doing it.
0: Also, spoken like a pastor, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and someone who maybe has experienced the other side of this. <laughs> Well, with that, we want to end with the question that you know that we like to end with, which is what brings you hope? We like to talk about hope on the pod, not as something that avoids the hard things or the messy things, but the hope that can help us to break through them and to show up to to the hard work and to keep going. So what brings you hope, Tanner?
2: Yeah, I think right now a lot of times what brings me hope is when I when I run into different kids and adults that I've um, had the privilege of you know teaching classes with um, in the neighborhood uh, a lot of times I'll just be uh, walking you know down my down my street and little kids will will run up who I taught in their classroom and they'll be like hey hey Mr. Tanner you know we we ate a banana today, or we ate an apple today, or we ate this healthy food, and I've been exercising for three hours, like, anytime I see, especially, like, with kids, um, you know, my background in youth ministries, so have a passion for youth, and whenever I see, when kids run up, and they say, you know, things that they've learned, um, it just brings me a lot of hope, I think it'd be really easy for me to be like, oh, they're just saying that, because, like, I taught them that, so they have to, but instead, I just, get, I just get, like, my, fa- my face lights up and I remember like, this is why I'm doing this. Like, this is why it matters because like if kids are able to learn this now and know this knowledge now, hopefully they'll carry that on to the future.
0: Mm. Thank you so much for contributing your knowledge um, in just so many different areas. Um, and we're just, we're super grateful that we get to meet people like you who just have their hands in so many different places and are bringing all these things together and kind of bringing them for us under the umbrella of faith and saying that faith drives us. Um, I think you said earlier, what can I do with my hands? Um, And we're very grateful for the work that you're doing with your hands. So how can people stay in touch with you? Um, You know, if they want to chat with you, if they want to interact with you, um, have you out to speak, you know, whatever, what are the best ways to keep in touch with you?
2: Yeah. um, So they can, Uh, Find me on Facebook at Tanner Cooper Risser or on Instagram at T Risser 92. I occasionally blog and there's a link to that on my Facebook. Um, And if they're interested in uh, the SNAP-Ed program and healthy, affordable recipes, they can go to celebrateyourplate.org. That's the Ohio SNAP-Ed's website that has tons of great, healthy and affordable recipes. And so we're all about that. Um, And if they're interested in learning more about uh, food councils and how our food council is doing and get ideas from us, they can find us on Facebook at Knox local foods.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, Tanner. Continue to do the good work and we'll look forward to having you on the pod in the future and hear how things are going in Knox County. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the food and faith podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest University School of Divinity, Plainsong Farm, Garden Church, and The Keep and Till. And the music is by Paul Diemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.